Welcome to the Coming Clean Podcast. My name is Stephen Perkins. I'm your host. And this week, we're talking with Heather Kelly of Heather's Choice. Not only does she have an incredible company with a great product that was just featured on Shark Tank, by the way, but also there's a great philosophy behind it, and she is focused on creating products and a company that is environmentally responsible. And so we're going to talk about that as well as her entrepreneurship journey. And so please enjoy this episode with Heather Kelly. Welcome to Coming Clean, the podcast dedicated to common sense environmental dialogue, environmental optimism, and real environmental solutions. This show is proudly powered by Orsted. Awesome. Heather, you've had an interesting past couple of weeks. Tell us about what's been going on in your world. Oh my gosh, it's been so wild. So it was January of 23. You know, it's cold and dark and boring here in Alaska that time of year. And I had finally heard it enough times that I should go on Shark Tank. So I navigated my way to abc.com, threw my name in the hat because to apply for Shark Tank, there's very low barrier to entry. (laughs) And then I promptly forgot about it. And then all of a sudden come April, I get this voicemail. Hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm a casting producer for Shark Tank. And as you can imagine, I just lost it, you know, just flipped out. Like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Well, from April till September was a whole rigmarole preparing to film for Shark Tank. So I had the opportunity to go to LA to pitch Heather's Choice, and then we waited. We waited and we waited and we waited. And then finally in December, we got the notification that we were going to be airing on January 12th. So we uh, have been living through the Shark Tank effect. And as a business, it is a very unique opportunity. I think the statistics are your odds of getting on the show are 0.0016. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, now Heather Choice headquarters, it's just a gentle hum of tape guns as we are picking it, packing it, shipping thousands of orders from the weekend. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredible. I, I, I was always curious and, and, uh, the bulk of this show, we want to talk about Heather's choice and your background, all that, but, uh, peel back the curtain a little bit for us on the Shark Tank thing. So, uh, my sister auditioned for American Idol at one point, right? And like, you don't get in front of the judges until two or three rounds of auditions. Um, what was it like for you? Were you actually filming the episode that then, that then went to air? Were you talking and pitching to producers first? What is that process? Yeah, it's a wild process. I had the initial interview where they're just kind of feeling you out, you know, seeing if you're a good human. And then you have two weeks to submit a five-minute audition video that includes answers to 25 million questions. You sign goodness knows how much paperwork, right? Just you yeah. get tired from scrolling through it all. And then you wait. And it's basically, you know, if you've been selected to film, we'll be in touch. If you have not been selected, you won't hear from us. So we let weeks go by just waiting to see, okay, like, is this even going to go anywhere? Right. End of May, they reached out again and said, hey, we want to connect you with these producers. Nothing is guaranteed. But May, June, July, and August, I worked with two producers to come up with a pitch. You know, the 90 seconds that everybody sees, it's, you know, very orchestrated, very uh, rehearsed and approved by, you know, all the Shark Tank powers that be. 
you have to select an outfit that gets approved. You set up a display that goes in for approval. And it's an incredible orchestration. And then before you know it, it's two weeks prior and they're like, okay, we booked you a plane ticket to LA. Here you go. And you get on an airplane and fly down there. You've shipped all of your display stuff to the studio and you show up and basically wait your turn because they film eight companies a day for two weeks straight. And we were number seven of eight. So I sat there hours just dumping my adrenaline, you know, waiting for my opportunity to walk out there because you get one take. There's there's nothing about it that is rehearsed other than the pitch that you've put together. And as you can imagine, it is highly intimidating to walk down that hallway and immediately be looking at Mr. Wonderful, who's just <laughs> glaring back at you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. It's I've real. I've never been under these bright lights before. Yeah. There's <laughs> yeah. so, so much about it. And I just have to say that it was an incredible experience. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. And those people are absolute professionals, yeah. right? You don't get to season 15 of a TV show unless you know what you're doing. Yeah, and I think probably a lot of people, I, I remember when the show um, first came out, which is weird to to think about that. And I'm sure a lot of our audience saw the early seasons. I still watch it. it but I, I imagine as a contestant, um, if that's the term for it, as a participant on these shows, um, I, I, I always felt bad for kind of the the wacky people they let through because you know, do they know that they're the that they're the one that's there for entertainment value? You know, do they think they have a shot? Clearly, you know, you're not in that camp, but like that's gotta be an interesting point too. What do they see in my business? Do I have a good chance of getting a deal? Um, I, I imagine doing the negotiation and, and the um in the moment is just really I don't know how you think clearly in a in a situation like that. Um so I, I Tell us, like, what was running through your mind as you're trying to navigate all that? Well, I treated this whole thing kind of like I did my college rowing career, where I've practiced, I've practiced, I've practiced. Now I just need to go run my race and whatever happens. Yeah. The crazy part about it is that all five sharks are asking you questions at the same time. Yeah. So you have to manage the room and you have to decide who you want to talk to, whose questions you want to answer. And I don't know if they do that to intentionally throw you off balance, right? Because like we're trying to create reality TV here. But I was definitely going into it knowing that I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be honest. Here. And however the cookie crumbles, that's going to have to be good enough. I think for other people, maybe you could go into it with more of a rehearsal or more of a strategy. My strategy was just to go out there and to be myself. And I think you know, whether or not that was the right strategy, it's neither here nor there because it's now aired on television. <laughs> um, okay, so let's take a step back. Tell us about Heather's Choice, your company, and 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 the journey that you've been on to to start it and now, you know, take it through what probably feels like this next phase of, of the uh, company's history. Yeah. So I... As I mentioned, I was born and raised in Alaska, went to school at Western Washington University where I was a collegiate rower. That's really where I got geeked on food and you know eating for performance. I went on to pursue my raft guiding career, which was very short-lived. Turns out you don't make very much money as a raft guide. Yeah. <laughs> and in 2011, I had done my first Grand Canyon trip, 25 days, 16 people, 
middle of winter. I think we launched December 26th. And for that trip, I had dehydrated 50 pounds of food to bring with me because, again, I'm a little bit of a nutcase. I'm crazy about food, love playing with food, love making new things. And I brought all this with me. And on that rafting trip, we kind of percolated this idea. Oh, wouldn't it be cool to have your own line of dehydrated meals and snacks for adventuring? And of course, sitting on my raft, eating out of a bag, chatting with my friends, the idea for the name Heather's Choice came up, which is actually my mom's idea. She was going to start a line of baby food when I was little called Heather's Choice. She never did it. So I yanked the name from her. And flash forward to 2014, I've been dehydrating food, giving it away to people. I'm so excited about the stuff that I was making. And a good friend of mine that was on that original Grand Canyon trip was like, Heather, what's it going to take for you to turn this into a business? I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I am just dehydrating food. I'm house sitting. Like, I don't have a place to live right now. I don't have any money. And this friend of mine actually gave me a place to stay in his fourplex, bought me a bigger dehydrator, the biggest dehydrator they had at Cabela's, and helped me get an EIN number and just said, like, you got to go for it. You got to try it. So that was, it'll be 10 years this summer that I've been on this journey. And I'm not sure why it has been so challenging, why it's been such an uphill battle. But I feel like I've run into every road bump (laughs) along the way. And Heather's Choice has now become just this epic story of tenacity and building company culture, building a product that matters, standing behind my values of quality and quality food and actually feeding people. Because I feel like there's been a lot of opportunity to take shortcuts in building Heather's Choice that I have not taken And that's resulted in us being here 10 years later, just still grinding it out. There's a couple of things I would extract from that. So number one, I I think the story that you have is so similar to others in that they started these companies, but they weren't companies. They were just sort of side passions. And someone said, hey, this is actually really good and could scale and and a lot of people could benefit from it. So I think that's an important uh, sort of lesson as people listen to that. Um, but number two, you know, it took someone just taking a chance on you. Uh, and, and it sounds like that was like an incredible chance. There's a difference between saying, you know, hey, this is a great idea. You should do it and I'll be your first customer and saying, here's a place to stay. Here's equipment. Here's sort of these other pieces of support. So that's awesome. Um, but then the third thing, which I think is the most important, um, a lot of times we see these shows or we see these companies on Shark Tank or we hear about these stories of these people who, had a passion, turned it into a business. 10 years, right? Like that is such a big commitment just to get to the Shark Tank point where you have this massive national audience, but grinding away at it for 10 years is such a commitment. Whereas most people, I, I think if, if it's, you know, I'm a year at, I'm two years in, I'm not making money from this. What's the point? Like, I'm just going to give this up. Um, I can't help but think that maybe you're athletic background, your adventure background, that probably helped with the endurance piece of it. But what do you think kept you going for the past decade on this? The experience of building Heather's Choice has been infinitely captivating for me, right? When I started, 
I was figuring out how to build a Shopify website and I was figuring out how to develop recipes and how to get my message out there. Now, flash forward to today and I'm still just learning every single day. Now it's the big question of, okay, how do you organize an executive team? How do you enter into a new market? How do you scale this up beyond the 300 meals that we make a day now? And it's been such a captivating experience for me on the personal growth side that it's really kept me in it, where at no point in the business have I felt like, gosh, I'm just showing up and doing the same thing day after day. It's like the challenges are always different. And I'm always having to grow as a person in my leadership or in my personal power, in my organization and ability to really bring this vision to life. And I feel like that's the crossroads I found myself at now is like, oh, I'm just one person and I actually don't have the energetic capacity to lead this to its next stage of growth. So who are the people I'm going to surround myself with who can help shepherd this idea to where it needs to go? And I feel like that can be such a dangerous pitfall for entrepreneurs is when you continue to try to carry all of the weight on your own shoulders and then you just great. And I'm really grateful that there's been so many times in the business where I've been able to parcel off different parts of the operation and hand it to other people and trust that they will do that. Because there was not a world where I was going to be chopping onions and making these meals myself for very long. (laughs) Well, and I think that's also typical, right? It, It goes, I think entrepreneurs and people who start things have Maybe it's a perfectionist tendency. Maybe it's just wanting the ownership. You know, I've got the vision. I need to be the one to execute. It's difficult to then, to your point, give over the reins to others and say, okay, I could do this, but at this point, not a good use of my time. You know, there are people who are more of the experts at this. And so I'm going to intentionally give this up to people who I can trust and and let them kind of run with that. And it's such an interesting parallel to, I, I think, you know, our organization has only been around for, for six, seven years. The, what, what you talked about, you know, the issues that you had to deal with in the beginning are the, now the thing of the past. And now you have much different issues to deal with. We've experienced the same thing of like in the beginning, it was just, how do we get in this room? How do we get, you know, these people together? And now the, the challenges that we're having to work through are so much bigger. And, and on one end, you feel exhausted because you're like, these problems just keep getting bigger and bigger. But on the other end, it's cool to look back and think, um, we've really, you know, we, we started with the small hurdles and now we're getting to the bigger one. Um, and I think that that also probably resonates with you as an athlete. Uh, you know, that's kind of the same process that you go through physically whenever you're trying to, to do new things. Um, so obviously, as, a, as, as an outdoor uh, company is an outdoor food company, primarily, you know, your, your market being the, the people going on adventures and, uh, and, 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 uh, and that demographic, um, sustainability and quality, um, are, are pretty important, uh, aspects to that demographic. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, your company's philosophy around sustainability and being environmentally conscious, uh, and, and, and why that is important to you? Yeah, honestly, I was sort of swept up by nonprofits like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers when I first started the business. 
you know, when I started, I was not a hunter. Like it just wasn't even on my radar, nor was the term conservation. Even if though I'd been backpacking and pack rafting and doing all this stuff, I think you can probably relate to this, that it's one thing to be an outdoorsman or an outdoors woman, like venturing out into the wilderness. It's a totally different thing to actually have a concept around conservation and what that looks like and what that means. True. So I was really fortunate that, you know, I was put under the wing of organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and got to do a DC flyout with the Land and Water Conservation Fund yeah. and was just completely inundated with all of it. Just right place, right time. Now within the four walls of Heather's Choice, again, we have a group of people who maybe go out backpacking, go out camping and partake in those activities. But the the concept of conservation still feels so squishy to them. And they can feel like, what am I supposed to do? Like, does my voice really matter? Like, it's really perplexing. And I feel like there's a steep barrier to entry to actually get involved in sustainability and conservation efforts because it can, there's just a lot of jargon. So for our staff, it's been really fun to be able to say to them, hey, you know, we were the first Alaskan company to join the Conservation Alliance. Anytime the opportunities come out for us to either nominate people for the grants or to vote on the grant uh, disbursements, that's one way that our staff can feel like they're actually participating. And then also, I would say that for our team internally, it's really, really powerful just to give them the opportunity to have more outdoor experiences, right? Because we have 20 something kids who don't own a tent. They've never been camping and to even provide them the opportunity to come on company trips with us and go on an Alaska wilderness experience. I feel like that's the way that you can have a lasting impact that gets this conversation even on their radar. For sure. And, and I, uh, so we, we just, one of the things that I have seen happening in the, in the food space, and I'm curious if you agree is people have become a lot more aware and interested in where their food is coming from. I think we still have a long ways to go to get the majority of the population that way. Um, but I, I do think, and, and this is probably the customer type that you're after, um, the, these, the, they're becoming more savvy about their food sources. Is that fair of what you're saying? And, and that kind of plays into the product. I would say so. I feel like the outdoor industry as a whole still, there's a long way to go in terms of nutrition education and a whole conversation around where does our food come from. And especially in the world of backpacking food, I feel like if people only eat two backpacking meals a year, it's kind of like, eh, not a big deal if I eat something that's really not that healthy or, you know, something that's not really that high quality. Where I feel like for us at Heather's Choice, kind of drawing that line in the sand and saying, we are going to invest in grass-fed beet. We are going to invest in grass-fed bison. We are going to buy wild-caught Alaskan sockeye salmon. It's an opportunity for us to help educate our customers who, again, maybe just aren't privy to this stuff yet. And I spend quite a bit of time just, again, talking with my staff about why we don't use canola oil in any of our products. Why do we pay a premium for extra virgin olive oil? And those are things that I feel like I need to do a lot better job (laughs) communicating to our customers 
because I assume that everybody has the same nutrition knowledge that I do. And I forget that people are still wondering how to feed themselves just practically every day, let alone how to feed themselves in a way that is really nourishing for themselves and benefits the planet. Sure. And and, and we're also in a time uh, right now, although I think it's improving a bit, where people you know, food prices are, are higher. People are, are struggling um, to, to do the grass-fed, to do the, the wild-caught. Um, and so I imagine there's a bit of a, um, a, a challenge that you see on the marketing side of, okay, we're, we're coming to people, and, and we'll talk a bit about how, how you're trying to evolve the brand from just, you know, backcountry meals into daily, daily meals, daily routine. But we're coming to people at this place where maybe, to your point, they only do eat a couple of these a year, and so they are going to go with the cheaper option. Uh, backpacking, amazingly enough, is, is, a, is a pretty expensive hobby, uh, as, as many great hobbies are. Uh, and so, you know, they're, they're thinking about those cost savings there. Um, and to your point, the education, the food marketing in general is just a, a whole mess of a thing. I, I mean... There, there's such crafty marketing that could be done behind unhealthy foods to make you feel like you're eating the, the greatest thing for your body. And so I imagine that's a big marketing conversation that you have with your team, or, or, or maybe it's some other sort of consideration you have there. But um, what do you think it takes to educate the customer more on that? I think it really takes meeting people where they are. Right. I can't necessarily go to my 20 something staff and yammer at them about buying grass fed when they're like, dude, you know, my priority is having a beer fund, not spending more money on grass fed beef versus the customer who's even coming and saying, like, hey, I have a question. You know, I have this autoimmune condition. What products do you have that actually fit with that? Or your meals are $15.95. I can get a cup of ramen for two bucks, like what's the difference here? And so I think that the the consumer needs to actually have kind of a willingness to hear what you have to say. And then it does need to be catered to that individual person, right? For my staff, maybe I would talk to them a little bit more about carbohydrate balancing or insulin sensitivity, things like that, that they can actually feel and experience in their body, right? I can say to them, you know, around three o'clock when you get a little sleepy and you just need, you know, a quick hit of sugar, you know, that could be related to what you had for lunch. Or if you're skipping lunch and you have low energy in the afternoon, like maybe there's an improvement we can be made there. For the consumer who's like, you know, I'm price insensitive. I want only the best. Why should I buy grass fed? What am I looking for? Blah, blah, blah. Should I even be eating red meat in the first place? That's a completely different conversation. Mm-hmm. In my prior business, I did sports nutrition and eating psychology full time. And that was the trick was to watch for when people start to glass over and you realize like, I've gone too far down the rabbit hole. They don't know what I'm talking about anymore. I've lost them. Like, how do I bring them back? So that's something that, again, I would like to do a better job of with Heather's Choice is helping educate people, but in a very approachable way. Well, my next question was going to be where you learned about nutrition, but that answers it. Sounds like you, you have a professional background in it. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, talk to us about, uh, so this started as backcountry meals. And of course those have to be, 
super light, super, uh, you know, um, uh, dense nutritionally in the sense that, you know, you, you need the energy from these things. Um, but now you're moving, um, to include more of that daily routine and maybe some of the, the daily, you know, meals that people have. What is that like? And, and how does the product evolve as a resort, uh, as a result of, of that? It's a great question because we're still in the awkward teenage phases of this. Honestly, for the last four months, I've really fought it and really wanted to just keep my blinders on and just stay a backcountry food brand. That seems so much easier to just keep doing what we're doing. But now with this opportunity that we've had with Shark Tank, I feel like I've just been shoved over the edge like heather you don't have a choice like you are now making food for everybody and like this is the direction that it's going the beautiful part about it and as i was expressing this to my team i was like okay how many of you eat heather's choice products more frequently at home or at work than you do in the backcountry and every single hand went up because i witness it on the daily that somebody like Quinn who manages the warehouse will be eating a Swiss muesli with milk at her desk or I'll go into their lunchroom during lunchtime and three of the five of them are eating spinach curry with chicken and rice or grass-fed beef spaghetti out of a bag. And it's like, oh, none of you had time to prepare yourself breakfast or lunch. This is a really healthy, easy option And we recently did a survey of our customers, our top thousand customers asking them, you know, how do you use the product? Mostly in the backcountry, hunting, fishing, whatever it is. And I was blown away by the number of people who say, I love having this in my pantry when, you know, I need something that's really quick. I take it with me when I'm traveling. I use it horseback riding. (laughs) I use it uh, in the car. Like it was just mind-boggling to me that people are already using the product in a million different use cases but we as a brand have not illustrated to customers hey if you are racing out the door and you have five minutes if you just boil six ounces of water and put it in the bag and zipper it shut you can take it with you and eat it in the car so it's something that's already happening that we're now as a brand acknowledging and I don't see immediately how the product itself needs to change. I think there's opportunity for some more sustainable packaging solutions that make it a bit more approachable to the everyday consumer. Let's let's talk about packaging. So in the backcountry scenario, um, obviously a big big motto for outdoors uh, people is leave no trace, and and we want to make sure that um, as as the litter issue grows around the world. And you now see if you're hiking up a mountain, you know, entire patches of litter sometimes. It's really, really unfortunate. How do you approach that as uh, a company where you know that your product is being used in that space? Um, Talk to us about the packaging. What more can you do? What are you looking at doing? For right now, for the person who wants to be able to simply add boiling water to the bag, to find a plastic-free solution is nearly non-existent. There might be some compostable packaging or omni-biodegradable packaging solutions, but it changes that customer experience. And I still have a big question mark around like, 
are people actually taking this and composting it? It doesn't compost in your home composter. So now you have to wash the bag, ship it to wherever does TerraCycle or whatever the deal is. And like that net impact for me is not crystal clear yet. So I think on the backpacking food side, there's still a long ways to go from a packaging technology standpoint to find something that performs the same way that a mylar lined bag does, but is, again, more biodegradable. In contrast, as I look at that everyday consumer, you can think about something like a bamboo fiber cup that is wholly compostable that somebody could be using as the vessel. And that's just, I'm at the very front edge of that wave of trying to learn everything I can about packaging options because what we've been using works for the current use case, but now there's a whole nother world out there where it could be that we are shipping fully dehydrated, lightweight, packable meals in a more renewable packaging solution. But that is going to take work just like many things do. (laughs) Understand. Um, In addition to packaging, what are the other components of the business? that you're working on that have a sustainability or, you know, an environmental angle to them or where you think we really need to innovate on this piece to get it in a better place? Especially here in Alaska, composting is infinitely difficult, right? I think our median temperature in the summer is probably in the vein of 60 degrees. As somebody that does a ton of gardening and has chickens and has a compost heap and all of that, If I was to try to take all of the food waste from Heather's Choice, the onion skins, the carrot tops, the whatever, and try to get them through my home composting system, I would be creating basically a dump in my backyard. Like It's just too much food volume for us to actually manage in one home compost heap. Anchorage right now does not have a commercial solution for composting. I think other states are a bit more progressive and maybe require businesses to compost their food waste. And that's something that gets talked about quite a bit here in Anchorage is the fact that our landfill only has 50 more years of life. And it's something ridiculous, like 70% of what goes in there is food waste that could be composted. So I would love to see a world where Heather's Choice gets to the point that it is composting all of its food waste and in a sustainable way. Because again, doing it in my backyard is not a sustainable solution. (laughs) So that feels like an infrastructure piece that needs to be addressed citywide, not just for our business. Got it. And as you talk about Alaska, I think Alaska is a a great um, example of a state that um, because of its remoteness because of its just smaller population and, and the way the communities are set up. I, I And correct me if I'm wrong, I find that uh, Alaskan communities are, are, are pretty tight-knit and there's a, a focus on investing back in the community, focusing on the community uh, and giving back to them. Is that a component of your, of your company? I would say for Heather's Choice, we're really I feel like we're more internally focused. I have spent, especially since 2020, when we went from a staff of 12 people to four in a matter of a couple of months due to people just being like, screw it. I'm going to sit at home and collect unemployment for 25 bucks an hour and do nothing. We've been really focused on building our company culture and 
fostering a place that feels really inclusive, feels really safe, feels expansive. And so I would I don't want to paint the picture that Heather's Choice is really externally facing community minded. I feel like right now we have a small bubble at Heather's Choice that I'm really focused on taking care of. And I'm proud to say that if you were to talk to any of our team members, you know, tattoos and purple hair and 20 somethings who like they're just hilarious. They are a hilarious kid that are so unassuming. And I'm confident that if any one of them was interviewed, they would say, yeah, Heather's Choice is an incredible place to work. And I feel really welcome and I feel really comfortable and I feel really taken care of. So that's been a lot more of a focus for me is how do I take care of the people who are right here in my orbit showing up every day versus spending all of my energy kind of doing things that are more outward facing. So hopefully that kind of answers your question. Well, there's two things that I want to take from that. Number one, uh, for, for people listening, but also curious to get your thoughts on this. What I find is, well, actually we'll start here. Number one, building a quality culture in an organization is a lot harder than people think. Um, and as I have been in other nonprofits or just, you know, have seen things through my career, um, and also talked with other people who work, you know, with, with other companies, like it, it is not a given, right? I, I think a, an exceptional culture is an exception to the rule. Uh, we wish it wasn't that way, but that's true. And going off of that, I, I do think that by giving people a workplace that they could be proud of, that they want to go to every day, it does improve their quality of life overall. And I, I think that you have a, uh, I think there is a domino effect that comes from that. Um, so we often say, and the reason why at ACC we focus on a local level is because we say you can have a much greater impact at a local level, um, but a lot of people try and start national first, right? Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get involved in politics, right? National politics. But really the better thing is to start locally. The point I'm trying to make is I feel like by you providing a, a productive, positive organization culture, that allows your employees to be the leaders within their community, to be the people who, um, you know, who, who make their community and their families better. Um, and, and so I, I think one of the things that I'd love to hear from you as we talk more about your entrepreneurial journey is what are some of the biggest lessons that you learned as a as a leader of people, as a manager, um, but also as the leader of an organization, someone who has to set the mission and vision and make sure that culture stays in check? When 2020 rolled around, and like I mentioned, we had to completely rebuild our team, my partner Brad and I were super intentional. Like our company culture is non-existent and we need to work on this. And I found myself really grappling with being highly introverted, <laughs> being like, how do I connect with these people in such a way that doesn't completely drain me of all my life force? And this is going to sound really silly, but my creative solution to this was actually starting a book club. So every Thursday, we all have lunch together. It's a paid lunch. And we go around the room and share a rose, our bud, our thorn, you know, just to get a peek into like, what's going on in your life? Like, no wonder you're in a bad mood. You know, your, your cat died, like things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily unearth just in a work environment. So that's been 
critical to have this opportunity where all of the Heather Choice staff gets to sit down and have lunch together. And then we are all reading the same book. Typically, it's a book a quarter. And the amount of conversation that's been generated from that, because we all vote on the books that we read, it either gives me an opportunity to share with the team like, hey, this book really points to the struggle that I'm having in the business right now with X. Or we might be reading a book that points to something about Alaska. And then we get to kind of share stories of what we've experienced in the Alaska wilderness. And it's just been so broad reaching that it has created a sense of intimacy amongst the employees that I feel like is really hard to replicate unless you have put in that time right? If I come and I say, you know, my rose is that whatever, like I had a great weekend. I'm really looking forward to this accelerator program I applied for. My thorn is that I'm still managing fundraising and it's running me dry. Immediately, the staff has a way better perspective of where I'm at energetically. And they don't have to wonder, like if I'm cranky, like it's not about them. If it was about them, I would say something. It's like, My energy is all off because I'm dealing with X. And that has had a profound impact on everybody getting to know each other better and feeling like we've created a safe space for you to show up to work and be like, I'm having a terrible day, but I'm still here and I'm still going to get work done. But like, this is what's going on for me in my life outside of work. And I don't feel like a lot of workplaces have the time, energy or patience for that. But that has been critical for us in creating what feels like a really safe work environment for people. That's awesome. And I want to highlight something you said, because I not only uh, relate to it, but I think it's important for people listening who feel themselves in the same shoes. Um, An introverted leader, uh, it is possible, right? A lot of people tend to have this, this thought that you do have to be really charismatic, really extrovert to lead an organization. As an introvert, you're just going to lead differently, and and that's not a that's not a problem. And sometimes it can even be a strength, right? Sometimes introverts are going to be better listeners toward their team, more sometimes nurturing toward their team. Um, to to just generalize there, um, and so that that's I, I think important as well. And I, I like meeting introverted uh, entrepreneurs. That that's awesome. Um, what is something that you would say to someone who is an aspiring entrepreneur? I would tell them to be really consistent with reminding themselves why they started. And this is even a conversation that my partner Brad and I have had in the last week where, you know, businesses are about making money, right? At the end of the day, it's like this thing needs to make money. Obviously, for me as an entrepreneur, there are a lot of easier ways for me to make money. I could go get a job. I could start a consulting business. Like I could make money in a million different ways. However, I, from the bottom of my heart, believe that Heather's Choice is something that needs to be in the world, and I am shepherding it, and I am providing a safe workplace. I'm providing opportunity. I'm providing people with good food. I'm proud of the team we have. I'm proud of the work we do. And I know that I am also actively setting an example for little Heathers to come. (laughs) And That keeps me going through the really hard stuff is being connected to something that's a lot bigger than myself 
I feel like it's really, really slippery and dangerous when it's like, I'm going to start a business because I'm going to get rich quick. Maybe that works for some people, but that's not been my experience. And I don't feel like that has the staying power that more of a mission-driven organization would have. Because no matter whether you're starting a nonprofit or you're starting a business, you're going to run into stuff that is hard and you're going to have a million opportunities to quit and a million reasons to turn to throw in the towel. And that constant reminder for what am I doing this for is really, really important. Because I know for myself, if I was to go out and become like an Amazon affiliate for something, I'd be like, that's neat. I made a few bucks. I made some money, but like it doesn't fill my cup. It doesn't leave me with a sense of pride in my everyday. It, and that's probably what keeps you going for 10 years before things really start to get off the ground. Or it's pro- that's probably what allows you to, uh, to, to your point of if, if you're starting something with the idea of I want to make money, um, it's sort of like, you know, if, if you're going to start in the creative arts because you want to be famous, uh, it, it, it is much more useful and you'll, you'll see a lot more success if there's a true passion and a bigger thing behind it than just the money or the fame or anything like that. Um, and then also just as an entrepreneur, what, what are the resources that you, sounds like you're a reader, which will come in useful for a question I have in a bit, but what are the resources that, that you used, um, you know, as, as you've gotten started or continue to use today that you would point people toward? I have a really deep bench of business mentors and it's challenging because I feel like people want to say like, oh, I'm going to go ask this person if they'll be my mentor, which immediately puts somebody on the defensive. They're like, ah, (laughs) okay, so you're going to want a bunch of my time for free. Like, I don't think that's a great strategy. It's so much more just the, the networking and the conversations and just being yourself and showing up and letting people flow into your world. And we're like, hey, I have a skill set. I think it could be useful to you. And if there's a deep, intimate connection there, then you know it can develop into a mentorship. I feel like I have attracted, you know, hundreds of people that have just come out of the woodwork who have been willing to lend their resources or to support in some way because they do see the passion behind it. They do see that I am consistently every day showing up and facing the struggle and just continuing to forge forward. So I feel like that network has been really critical for me. And I would just caution people to not necessarily go out there and try to like seek mentors, but instead to sit back and witness who is coming into their world and to just be hyper aware of like, oh, this person has this background and this skill set. Maybe I can ask them this question. Yeah. And I feel like that would be a much better strategy than racing out there and basically being like, who wants to mentor me? Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that works. It, and that's <laughs> consistent with every, I, I mean, I, I'm blessed to have a few mentors in my life and, and they uh, were people who started off as friends and they were people who I, I find it amazing the networking you to you do today, the people you meet today could maybe they're not going to be involved in your career or helpful in your career in the next you know five years or but maybe ten years down the road, all of a sudden um, they're able to be in that sort of mentor position. But that's consistent with what I've seen as well is building up the relationships because you never know where it's going to lead. 
um, and, and the mentorship um, is similar to how we say, okay, don't, let's maybe not start something because we want to get rich or get famous. It's this idea of in your career, let's not network because we want to get something out of somebody, but because we just want to build up our bench of people who we know and trust and can confide in, and maybe that'll lead to something down the road. Um, so I think that's a really powerful lesson and a, a good uh, a good alternative path to what many are told about mentorship, which is go find one, go ask someone, and, and you're right, that doesn't always uh, work out that way. Um, okay. I, I want to close out with a couple of rapid fire questions, uh, if that's okay with you. Um, and, and also, you also just really appreciate time. This has been, this has been awesome. Um, so the first one, which I mentioned, you have your book club. And so I feel like this might be an easy question or maybe a difficult question. Cause you've read a lot at this point. What is the one book, uh, that you would recommend to somebody? It could be either something you just read recently or a classic that you go back to, but what's the recommendation? I have reread Essentialism a few times. That's a great book, especially as an entrepreneur who's confronted with a million opportunities yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's great to be reminded to put first things first. You know, your family always comes before the business, and it's really easy to forget where your values lie as you're being inundated with opportunities. Um. If you could rent the, if, if you had the the Super Bowl commercial, the massive billboard that everyone's going to see, um, not related to the business, but what's the one message that you would want to send out to people uh, in that circumstance? This is going to sound really wooey. Uh, take care of your energy, right? And that's part of why I'm such a nutcase about feeding people and good food. I feel like when people are underfed or overfed and undernourished or food fixated, whatever it is, it's really hard for people to show up. It's hard to sit down and have conversations like this with you if I'm like trying to figure out what my next meal is or feeling guilty about what I just ate or feeling yeah. icky and yucky and not vibrant. So I would encourage people to, yeah, take care of their energy. Nice. Um, what are you most excited about right now? Summer. <laughs> it's January, <laughs> but I'm that. like, yeah. oh my gosh, can it please be summer? Uh there's a lot that I'm excited about, and genuinely, I am excited to witness Heather's choice become something that's a lot bigger than me. Awesome. And then finally, um, one of the, the biggest uh, things on our end is, is giving people a call to action and, and giving them a way that they can act in some way. Could be big, could be small. But what is the uh, episode or what is the call to action that you would give someone listening to this episode once it's over? Man, I would encourage people to especially on like the conservation side, there's not a world where I would have been participating in the world of conservation if I didn't have a group of people that I knew and trusted and could ask the dumb questions. And here in Anchorage, we do have a group like Backcountry Hunters and Angler Anglers, the local chapter, they host Pint Night. And that is such a cool way to show up and to meet other people who are into the same things that you are. And once again, build a really true, authentic community that then can go actually do things, actually do trash pickups or rally for a cause, whatever it is. And I feel like just putting yourself out there and finding those in-person events that you can go attend, that will be a much quicker way to get active and involved in your local community. Awesome. 
Well, I encourage people to go watch the episode of Shark Tank that you're on uh, because that that's a really cool thing that you did. Urge people to check out Heather's Choice. Um, but Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks again to Heather for coming on the show. Uh, if you'd like to support our podcast, make sure that you subscribe on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you get your gourmet podcast, and also leave us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Uh, we are also going to be starting uh, in the next couple of episodes a new segment called Climate Rants. And so if you have a voice memo or a video about what really gets under your skin about anything energy, climate, or conservation related, please send that to comingclean at acc.eco. In the meantime, follow us on social media at acc underscore national. And until next time, take care. And before we jump, the Coming Clean podcast is grateful to be powered by Orsted, a wonderful company strengthening America's energy security with reliable and domestic clean energy. Through its integrated renewable energy solutions, Orsted is creating American jobs, investing in American communities, and driving American innovation, all while preserving our country's natural habitats. A clean energy future truly connects us all, and Orsted is helping lead the charge. To learn more, visit us.orsted.com.